Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review presents with Donovan and Ken. Uh, episode 387, recorded March 5th, 2023. So when you think of science fiction television shows, television, what's the, the first thing you think of? Obviously, Star Trek. Yes. It's the best. There you go. Exactly. And then maybe a close second is Battlestar Galactic. Because it had, it kind of followed suit with Star Trek. It had mm-hmm. a, an original series that, as a kid, because that came out when I was a kid. That yeah. was right in my wheelhouse. I loved that show. Right. Uh, even though it was very short-lived, but, you know, little elementary school Donovan loved it. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, years later, adult Donovan got to watch the reboot or the uh, the next generation or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, <laughs> reboot. Uh, so I kind of feel like that was my Star Trek like. Like, my dad grew up on the original series and then saw The Next Generation, and then I grew up on the original Battlestar and then got to watch the reboot as an adult and, and maybe pick out a few flaws of that original show. Maybe that wasn't as good as I remember. <laughs> maybe? Maybe those toasters don't look this cool. Yeah, I was really... Being a big Star Wars fan when Galactica came out, it was like, oh, wow, look at that. You know, they're not X-Wings, but they're close. They're very close. And, uh, and I was just really hoping it would be better than it was. But I still loved it. it right. Was, you, you say it's right, right in your wheelhouse, right in mine, too. Thoroughly and then, enjoyed that. And then you really liked the, the reboot universe, right? Oh, well, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah when, they, when, they, when they did that, it was like, uh... How interesting that they're rebooting things, but it was so good. And yeah, then, and I love the way they rebooted it. I mean, yeah. if you watch the show, yeah. there's a a lot of times they talk about, oh, this has happened before, and it'll happen again. Oh, it's a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so if you were a fan of the original series, you could be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original series was one of the before times. That exactly. It's, it's it's recycling. One of the previous the universe cycles. is recycling itself. I really like that concept. That, yes. that uh, it could have been canon, just go. in a past cycle. Right. So anyway, so if you haven't, couldn't tell yet, uh, we're doing Battlestar Galactica today uh, yes. for Star Trek Comic Book Presents. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like doing like the first couple of issues of any of the ongoing mini, uh, ongoing series or the mini series, because Battlestar Galactica has had a lot of series from Marvel to dynamite which is the one that's had it most recently and then it's had some other smaller companies do mini series and things like that so instead of like just doing a random issue from those those longer run series we just decided to do two one shots that dynamite did uh one is called little battlestar galactica which is kind of a, a kitty take on the original series and then we did another one shot called Pegasus, which is a prequel to the whole rebooted universe, but set from the Battlestar Pegasus's uh, 
point of view. Right. And they did a couple prequels. Um, but Pegasus was the one that was actually happening during the series. So that was kind of cool, bringing a second uh, Battlestar into the picture. And a more advanced, more powerful Battlestar. Right. And with the little Star Trek nod, uh, its captain was <laughs> Roland Forbes, who played uh, Roland, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, when I saw that uh, she was going to be on there, I was like, oh, look, look. She's still getting work. Good for her. And she didn't have to put stuff on her nose. Yeah. Yeah, she just had to be really, really stern. And then you see in this book that <laughs> she was under a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. So the, this book is dark. Uh, yeah. And, and, then, and, you know, it, it is kind of cool that it's set before before the invasion, before exactly. the colonies are destroyed. Exactly. Which I wasn't expecting going into it. I was thinking, like, oh, this will be how she left the colonies and before she met up with the Battlestar Galactica. But no, this is this is even so, before that. Right. So you thought it was going to be after the attack and then the aftermath of the attack and uh, and how she got away. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 Because we saw yeah. how the Battlestar and, and those handful of ships made it, you know, mm-hmm. from watching the miniseries. Right. So I thought this was going to be how they made it. But right. nope. Set before. Yeah. But doesn't disappoint it was still very good oh it's quite good yeah but it's i mean i could not think of two different books that could be more uh (laughs) different in the tone um between the lilla bsg and then this pegasus one Uh, so you're saying you did you like one a lot more than the other uh yes oh We'll have to have some talks. We'll have to have some talks about that. Yeah, obviously the target audience was not the same. Let's be honest. The target audience is the same. It's it is just, not They the purposely same. made one to be as if it was for kids, but no kid was going to buy that book. Uh, all, the, all the pages they dedicated to activities things? Yeah, it's a joke. It, the whole thing was a joke. <laughs> oh my god it was a joke on on us the the, the Battlestar Galactica fans we'll talk about it here well anyway. we can talk about it all we like but I mean this this the Lilla BSG had absolutely no value in my opinion uh, from an adult fan standpoint uh, yeah. in my uh, opinion uh, <laughs> I, I will not argue with you as a child I would think it, it could have been it could have been entertaining, maybe. No. Mm. Well, we'll get to it. Anyways, well, do you want to do that one first, or should we do Pegasus first? Uh, well, I don't care. Well, wh- why don't you do L- Little Battlestar? I'll do Little Battlestar first. Okay. All right, I couldn't find the month, but this came out in 2014. It's a one-shot called Little Battlestar Galactica. The writer and artist is Art Bal- Baltazar, which was kind of a cool name. Uh, writer is Franco. Main cover, <laughs> what? Franco. Yeah, so it's another guy. Apparently, they both did the writing, and then uh, Baltazar did, was the artist, too. Right, right. And yeah. I was able to find out this was January of 2024. January of 2020. Okay. I did a little, a little research. 
I did try to look it up, and it just kept saying 2014. So yeah. that's what I was going with. And that's what was on the cover. So. Or, I'm sorry, 2014. I should have said Yeah. That. I misspoke. All right. So the main cover is by Art Balthazar. The uh, exclusive subscription cover is by Agnes Gabrowowski. Activity Sheets, that Ken alluded to earlier, by Roger... <laughs> Landridge and Andrew Elder, edited by Molly Mahan. Special thanks to Kim Neiman, Ed Prince, and Christopher Lucero. And it's based on the television show created by Glenn A. Larson. So there are three covers. I'm very briefly going to cover them. The first one is Little Apollo and Little Starbuck on a gumball looking planet. Um, being attacked by Cylons, both on the planet and from the sky. The next one is a Mario Kart-inspired cover, and it shows Apollo, Athena, or I guess it's Starbuck, Athena, and I forgot her name. uh, Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia. And they're all in their little uh, versions, and they're driving around in little Mario Karts, shooting a Cylon in the face with a water pistol. And then the last one is Starbuck on a sled racing down a snowy hill, sticking out his tongue at a Cylon with Moffat in the corner. The daggett. Yeah. So, in case you haven't figured it out, this is a very stylized cartoon version of the classic show. They look kind of like a cross between Dennis the Menace and... I don't know, some some other Hanna-Barbera show or something. Maybe more in lines of, like, the more modern, like, uh, Gumball and uh, uh, some of those other Cartoon Network shows. But anyways, very, very, very cartoony. And for whatever reason, Apollo, Starbuck, Boomer, and Athena all are little kids, whereas the rest of the cast seems to still be the same age. Like, they're all still adults. But even some of the, the other pilots and stuff, they're they're adults, yet these four are now little children and are kind of treated like children. But they still seem to have the same rank and position on the ship. So, so it's a little weird. So Apollo speaks to his father, Adama, on the bridge and tells him that the Cylons are coming. And then he goes on a weird rant about how the Cylons may only have one eye that moves across their heads with the weird woo-woo sound. And then elsewhere on the ship, we learn that Cylons really are boarding the ship, and Boomer is in his bed with his pet Moffat, and he sees them uh, rushing by. So he sneaks out to go tell his friends. Later, Starbuck joins Apollo at Stargazing, and they both talk about uh, what it'll be like with the pros and cons of when they eventually find Earth and leave Galactica. Boomer then arrives and informs them of the raiding party. They pull an alarm, and then they start fighting the robots with lasers. Meanwhile, Athena gathers a severed Cylon head, wraps it up as a blanket, and treats it like a baby doll. She shows her father, who he immediately recognizes it as a Cylon and not a baby doll, and he starts paying heed to the blaring alarms that are going on in the background. All Galactica fighters are ordered to their ships to fight in space. Uh, Our little pilots are stopped en route by Baltar and some Cylons. 
instead of like fighting each other, they just talk about how weird it is with the styles of ships looking very non-aerodynamic and things like that. And then they just kind of walk away from each other. So the attack forces in the ship start losing because Athena keeps going around and taking the Cylons' heads off for more baby dolls. The Cylons then retreat, and the little gang talk about how they might find Earth under the couch. And then, uh, like Ken mentioned earlier, there's several pages in the book that are more like activity book type things with mazes, quizzes, and a spot the difference between these six Cylons and things like that. The end. So I take it you didn't like this one. Oh, it was okay for something that was really, truly aimed at kids. But I, I, I saw little value in it <laughs> as an adult, <laughs> as an old adult. Right. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you. They definitely wrote it as, as if the kids were the audience, but they knew that kids weren't going to buy it, and they were aiming it at us. So just so that you know, um, as part of the little series that Dynamite did in 2014, uh, it wasn't just Battlestar Galactica. And when you hear the other titles, you're going to think, oh, those aren't made for little kids. The other ones they did was Red Sonia with Little Sonia, Vampirella with Little Vampy, Evil Ernie with Little Ernie, and... The Bionic Man with Little Bionic Kids. <laughs> so they were obviously, uh, again, making a kid's book <laughs> for adults based on adult properties that kids aren't going to read and adults aren't going to appreciate. So it was a weird, weird miniseries or well, set of series. Vampirella, especially. What the heck? Well, and Red Sonia, too, and Evil Ernie. So, I mean, it's just like... And then Bionic Command, uh, the Bionic Man and uh, Bionic Woman. Well, okay, that's all fine. Like that but, but obviously, Vampirella is drawn exceedingly sexual. Yep. So, and uh, I... I so, so, what was the little kid's outfit like? Little, little Vampirella? Uh, it's probably pretty close to the same, I would imagine. Oh my god. I thought that would be problematic. I, I would think that would be problematic. Again, they're not aiming it at kids. They were aiming it at the adults. I know, but... <laughs> I know, but... The, mm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, so I have no idea why this became a thing in the 2000s. Um, because DC kind of did it with... Uh, they created a Tiny Titans and a mm -hmm. Billy Batten's Shazam and Superman Family Adventures. And it was all kind of in this really cartoony style where the font looked like it was made out of crayons and mm -hmm. things like that. But at least those books were aimed at, at smaller, younger audiences. Right. And then in 2014, Dynamite did their thing with their little series. And then in 2017, IDW did it kind of the same way, but with Funko. So they had a Funko X-Files, Funko Ghostbusters, Funko Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Funko Judge Dredd, just as a, like a one-shot mm -hmm. for all of those. But even when you read those, they really re read like their kids' books. But none of those properties, aside from maybe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, would even really appeal to little kids. Yeah. So oh. I, I don't know. I don't know uh, 
what was going on in the comic book industry for those few years. But. I don't know either. But this book sure stayed in character. <laughs> I mean, if this was all a wink of the eye, uh, it's it stayed in character the whole way, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and all the jokes are bad. None of the jokes land. No. <laughs> the Cylon baby doll might have been the funniest thing, but even it was so stupid. <laughs> well, I, and I think it's uh, I think it's almost misogynistic too. It's like, oh, 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 Athena was a fighter. I mean, she was a pilot. And what do you have her doing? You have her playing some stereotypical, you know, mother nurturing, motherly thing with Cylon heads. Oh. Yeah, she's the only one that even acts like a kid. The other ones, even though they're drawn as kids and right. uh, are treated like kids, they act as if they're adults, right? I mean, they're talking kind about, of. oh, how's it going to be when we get to Earth and, you yeah. know, all this kind of stuff. And then she's, like, playing with toys and things like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with playing with toys. No. I might have a few, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was very, it was, it was, I'm glad we read it, but it was, uh, I would never read this one again. Yeah, there, there's no, there's really no reason to have a second one. And they never did, so. I mean, I, I get the joke. I mean, I really think it was, these are written as a joke towards the adult readers. Okay. That's the way I'm taking it. Okay. I, yeah. Cool. I, 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 I would have felt it, uh, yeah, I'm just not getting my money's worth out of this, <laughs> personally, but, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't I, find I, myself sufficiently, uh, entertained. Yeah, and this is one that I did pay full price for and is sitting in a box somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they've got, I mean, the cool thing is... You know, obviously the people that wrote this and, and created it, um, I, I, I think they demonstrated that, that they were fans mm-hmm. of the franchise. Um, and they did a pretty good job. Uh, I mean, they, 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 threw, they threw Muff Muffin, the da- Muffy, whatever, the Daggett. So that was cool. And they had some ghostly uh, Rick Springfield, uh, who was the, um, you know, the younger brother, the kid brother. To Why Apollo. Did you call him Rick Springfield? Was, did well, he play that? That's character? who played, yeah. Oh, really? So Zach was played by Rick Springfield. So that's why they had the ghosts with the uh, guitar on the back. Ah. See, I didn't even catch that joke. Now, I think the hair and the look of the ghost brother, Zach, um, who, only, who only Apollo could see, um, I, I don't think that looks anything like... Not even close to Rick Springfield, but whatever. Now, was that a was that just in the miniseries, or I don't remember there ever being a ghost on the show. Oh, I don't. Um, if there if there were any flashbacks where Richard Hatch's Apollo character had kind of seen uh, Zach, uh, his his younger brother, mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember that. Okay. Because he died in the first episode. Right. Um, 
And I do not remember him coming back like, uh, you know, some kind of ghostly thing at all. So I'm not sure where they got this from. But yeah. whatever. But yeah, maybe it did happen. I forgot. But they didn't do it much if they did that at all. Right. And Rick Springfield obviously being most famous for what? Uh, Jesse's girl. That's the wrong answer, kid. What? He was the human target. I don't know what you're talking about. They had a TV series called The Human Target in which he played... The Human uh, Target? Christopher Chance, The Human Target. Oh. Okay. It was a DC Comics uh, TV series. Lasted one season. It's actually pretty good. And Rick Springfield played the main character. How fascinating. So when was this produced, this TV show? Mm, I believe it was 90. 1990. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know. Yep. He, he was trying to branch out. <laughs> well, I think he always... I think he was always... I mean, he was in soap operas. Yeah, he was in soap operas. Right? So he was an actor uh, who could do some singing, apparently. Uh, had a few hits. So, multi-talented, but... But yeah, I had no idea he had a Battlestar Galactica connection. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Him and brother, and they, they, you know, they kind of a little bit look alike, especially when they part their hair the same. But, mm. yep. So, in regards to the book, um, maybe the funniest joke, and maybe the only thing that I thought was actually comical was the uh, woo woo part because <laughs> that that was so ingrained in, in me true. as a kid the well. the woo woo sound of both the Cylons and and Kit. That was a. Oh, right. Yeah, that was what all the cool the... cars, or that's what all the cool things did back then, was have a little red. A thing that go back and forth. Red, red thing go back. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even tie a kit into that, but you're right. Huh. Cool. Hmm. So, uh, I thought, I thought the, the only thing close to funny, I thought, um, was where the kids are saying that the uh, Cylon ships look like the fighters look like sandwiches. <laughs> so, and then and then that somehow gets under the uh, skin of, Bal- of Baltar, right? Right. So, you know, so so the so the kids are are making fun of Baltar and sandwich looking fighters, and uh, and they totally end up owning Baltar. He gets pissed off. So that that was about the only thing I I thought was close to funny. Personally, yeah. Well, he did also mention how non-aerodynamic the uh, the Galactica looked. Yeah, but and in I'm space, like, it's in space. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. You could be a giant cube and be just as fast as a sleek-looking Enterprise. You could. You could. A big ball. Doesn't matter. Yeah, um, I thought the drawing... So they have a drawing of Galactica at the beginning, and I think they have it at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's a decent drawing. I mean, it's it's all kitty-style kitty stuff, but at least the Galactica looks a little bit... A little bit of a notch above kitty stuff. <laughs> a little bit. Although, it is funny how there's, like, uh, clouds in right. front of the Galactica. So it's like, well... The Galactica's in space... So there shouldn't be any clouds, but that's fine. Whatever. 
No. Well, I mean, if you want to go by artwork, I thought the artwork of the Cylon Raiders were really good. And it was like the same one, copy and pasted all over, this, <laughs> all over the page. But that is such a cool ship. Uh, you know, the sandwich. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I remember making those sandwiches. As in the models. Uh, and uh, and I like those. I like them. I, I made a Viper and I made a couple Cylons and, you know, and even a Galactica probably at some point. Now, mind you, I didn't nope. make as many of those as I did of the Enterprise, the Taz sure. Enterprise, because the uh, nacelles kept on breaking. But <laughs> so you had to get another one. Sure. Uh, that was that was that was Ertl's like plan. They'll just keep breaking in. They'll just keep buying more of them. Exactly. exactly. It's all part of the plan. It's a problem. Now, thing. when I was a kid, they did come out with Battlestar Galactica toys, mm-hmm. and I had the Cylon Raider and. Man, I loved playing with it. Just I remember as a kid sitting on my stairs in the house and having adventures with that Cylon Raider flying around. But Is that funny, the one they had the uh, spring-loaded yes. thing that shot out? And they had the recall them all. <laughs> and it's funny because the number one thing I liked to do as a kid was I was my my face was the was the camera was the screen, and I would have the Cylon ship. Come straight towards the camera and fire those missiles right at, you know, right at the quote unquote camera, which is quote unquote my eyeballs. No. Oh. <laughs> so you were so, you, you were a case in point as far as the recall. Yeah. Well, years later, when I find out that they got recalled and why, I'm like, oh, I did that. That was exactly what I was doing. Except <laughs> I wasn't shooting them into my mouth where I would swallow them and choke. Oh. But uh, but probably shooting them into my eyeball was uh, equally bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But yeah, yes. no, it's funny. When when I found out that was the why they got recalled, I was just like, hmm, I guess hmm. I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, I got two eyeballs here. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I got nothing else to say about this. Lovely, lovely, heartwarming comic book. Yeah, I do kind of wish we would have found another uh, cl- classic era one-shot to do instead of this one. Just one that was a little bit more serious. Right. Um. With Star Trek Presents, I, I would like to do another Battlestar Galactica in the, in the future. So I'm sure at some point we'll we can get around that to happen. It. And this, this is my only exposure to Lilla anything. So, uh, so this was good for me, reading it, because I never read anything like this before. But you got it out of your system, and we don't have to, we don't have, to have a little Vampirella episode. No. no. Okay, can well, we do Pegasus? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... Dynamite One-Shot, Pegasus, Battlestar Galactica Pegasus, October 2007 is the published date. Creative team is writer Brandon Jirwa, art by Jonathan Lau, colors by InLight Studio, lettering by Simon Simon Boland, graphic design by Jason Allmeyer, and there's special thanks to Ron Moore, Cindy Chang, and Gary Locum. And of course, Ron Moore being one of the uh, two creators of the reboot TV series. And also an alumnus of Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, Andy, Deep Space Nine too. Okay, um, two covers. Uh, cover A presents some unknown young uh, human officer. 
with a look of surprise on his face. And he is the centerpiece of the cover. And I don't have any idea why. So the real main character of the comic is uh, Admiral Kane, who is to his left. Um, and then there's another person to his right, which looks like a Viper um, fighter, a pilot. Um, uh, also in the upper area, we've got the Pegasus, uh, who is, uh, being flanked by, uh, like at least six different Vipers, uh, which is pretty cool. And then, um, and then there's, uh, there are green colored Cylon ships coming around a, what I, I believe it's a planet, maybe. Um, at least, and I assume that those are Cylon ships coming around the planet side, the green ones. Um, and then we've got uh, a few, what appears to me to be a few Taws era uh, Vipers in the bottom corner. And then we've got uh, one of the uh, robotic uh, Cylons, uh, reboot Cylons in, in the uh, lower left. So a lot of stuff going there, uh, there on there in the cover. But it really bugs me why that one guy's in the middle. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Cover B is a photo of Admiral Helena Kane of the Pegasus. And she is on the bridge looking like she's ready to kick butt. Pegasus returns to the colonial fleet hub, Geminon, where three other battle stars are currently docked. Pegasus resupply and crew shore leave will begin soon after docking is complete. Six, five, and a third humanoid Cylon is watching the docking and uh, and how humanity is moving to and fro in the busy uh, hub station. Six comments on how none of this will matter soon. She calls it sadly ironic the other two Cylons do not agree and, in fact, have some concerns over what she just said. Six tells them to never question her commitment to the plan. On the Pegasus Bridge, Executive Officer Colonel Cade Ward is overseeing the post-docking activities, including shutting Pegasus down while they are docked. In her office, Admiral Kane is taking care of writing a letter and maybe other paperwork, maybe logged work, that kind of stuff. She will be at it for quite some time and tells Cade to take care of shutdown and exit procedures without her. The Admiral has a flashback to a scene filled with terror, broken ships on fire, colonial officers dead and dying at the hands of the bloodless, gleaming Cylon troopers. Her reverie is interrupted by Admiral Rohner entering her office. He has new orders for her. The Pegasus will not be still long enough to gather much dust. The mission is sensitive and it's secret. Rohner explains what the mission is. An experimental stealth ship was sent across the armistice line to Cylon territory to gather intel on Cylon activity. The mission went badly and they had to blow up the ship and pilot to keep it from falling into Cylon hands. They thought that ended the incident, but then last week, a faint colonial distress signal was picked up on our side of the armistice line. The Kronos was sent to investigate and never returned. It was likely ambushed. Admiral Rohner tells Admiral Kane to take care of it 
without starting a war. Not long after, the Pegasus is back in open space and makes an FTL jump. They come out of FTL near the last known coordinates of the Kronos. They find the Kronos pretty quickly on Dratus. All that metallic and fleshy debris stuck out apparently like a sore thumb. The ship was attacked quickly and decisively. As they approached slowly, four Cylon ships came out from behind the Kronos, a welcoming party. They call red alert in time to pick up nuclear missiles being fired at them. The Pegasus takes two missile hits before they can get their guns firing at the other missiles and the Cylon Raiders. The sneaky Cylons apparently rigged the Kronos to explode, and right on time it does. A signal that says it's from Admiral Tong of the Kronos starts to play. Tong says the Kronos was attacked, and the survivors took refuge. Coordinates are in the signal. The Cylons regroup and come in for a second shot at the Pegasus, but the Admiral gives the order to jump. They jump to FTL just as a new volley of missiles are shot at them. They come out of FTL near the coordinates Tong gave in his transmission, but the FTL is damaged and down for now. They will only be maneuvering at sublight speed for a while. They got one more of Tong's messages. Most of the Kronos crew is dead. They are still working on the exact location of the few remaining survivors. Kane addresses the crew, giving them the situation and telling them that despite the damage they just took, they are going to rescue the Kronos survivors and make it home with them. The Admiral and her bridge officers figure that Tong and the survivors took refuge in a fuel and supply depot half a day's flight away. Repairs are underway, however, many systems have been restored. They decide to hold position to continue repairs and use the small contingent of vipers they took with them to send out and start doing uh, patrols to guard the ship. Meanwhile, a raptor team is sent to the fuel depot to search for the chrono survivors. They realize the fuel depot could be yet another trap, but they need to take the risk. They pick up incoming Cylon raiders. The Pegasus sends a force of only six vipers to intercept. The small force of Vipers puts up a valiant flight, but start losing ships to the 12-strong Cylon Raider Force. The Pegasus picks up a strong colonial signal from the fueling depot. The Admiral gives the Vipers the recall order. They are shipping out for the fuel depot. Meanwhile, the Raptor Force sent ahead to the depot finally arrives and find out what appears to be a dead installation. They land the Raptors, and a six-person team in spacesuits exit and they're uh, heavily armed. They signal back to the Pegasus, reporting that the Cylons were there and turned the depot into a slaughterhouse. They see many Cylon soldiers in pieces. The depot's people and or Kronos crew put up a hell of a fight. Not all the Cylons are dead, however, and a firefight breaks out. They lose two of their number, but they destroy the remaining Cylons. They hear something and find Admiral Tong alive in an adjoining room. Later, back on Pegasus, they have 93 recovered bodies from the Kronos crew. Only Admiral Tong survived. Admiral Kane says she wants payback for all this. They need to wipe out the Cylon threat once and for all. 
Kane goes to Tong, who is a mess mentally. They have a brief talk, and Tong freaks out. He screams that the Cylons are coming for them all, and ends up cutting his own throat. They jump out of there, and later exit FTL near Toron shipyards. Kane leaves the docking procedures again to Colonel Ward, while she goes to her office. She begins writing a difficult letter to David Kane, but she knows the letter will never be delivered. Admiral Kane takes another swig of something strong and brown and says to an empty room that she knows you Cylon monsters are coming, and I'll be waiting for you. So what's the deal with the dad letter? I mean, this is the second one she's written in this issue. Well, I think she's actually writing the letter to her father, who I think she was killed in the flashback. You know that one, the flashback that happened near the beginning, where we saw uh, the original series-style Cylons killing people? Oh, that was a flashback? That was a flashback. Okay. Uh, that, that's my theory. Because that was in the past. So that was from the first Cylon War. Hmm. All right. So that was her remembering her dad dying. I think so. That's my theory. Okay. They don't say. So you got to kind of, you know, come up with an explanation yourself. You know, you know how to do that. Right. <laughs> you're, good, you're good at making up... You know, explanations for things that don't seem to make a lot of sense, but... No, that makes sense, because I, I thought she was just remembering, like, a past battle she was in, but you're saying that she's remembering something that happened to her dad. I think so. That's my theory. Okay. And what, what uh, the, the envelope said... What did it say? Colonel? Colonel uh, David Kane? Yeah, something like that. So I'm going to guess... Her father never, you know, you know, he died, so he never made it past Colonel. And so now she just writes, writes letters to him, and then burns them up. I guess. And throws them away. I guess. You, you, so they kind of show little snippets of what's in the letters, but they you can never see a full sentence. Right. So, right. Um, hmm. and, and was that part of her storyline in the show? Because oh, I don't remember. I that don't at all. remember that. I don't remember that at all from being in the show. Yeah, me either. I think they're trying to flesh out uh, all the stress and pressure she was in, trying to give her more of a backstory to explain um, how she behaved uh, in the TV show. Right. Hmm. And, okay. And, and, and she, you know, she was a uh, she was she was vengeful. And she was very willing to take the, the Galactica off on these uh, vengeance runs uh, against the Cylons and right. not that worried about the civilian population. So, yeah, the civilian so fleet. It, it's been a few years since I watched any of Battlestar Galactica, so I did rewatch the the Pegasus mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And, man, that was brutal when she was okay with them raping the uh, captured female Cylons and stuff. It's just mm-hmm. like, I do not remember that from watching it, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. And that was all under her watch, and she was completely okay with it. Yeah. It was vengeance, baby. I mean, 
I mean, you, you, you see the majority of your whole world, your whole uh, civilization, your whole uh, people, um, you know, destroyed without mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh doesn't justify everything she did, but right. But I mean, it seems like bit. she was already kind of that way even before the massacre. Because right? here she's she's not the nicest uh, commander. No, no. And that ha- hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, but she also realizes the seriousness of the situation. So I mean, there she was with one of the most one of the better ships in the fleet and she almost didn't come back. She almost lost her whole crew and ship. Right. Um, and if you're throwing nuclear missiles at each other, <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, they get, they got hit by two nuclear missiles. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause in the episode, yeah. they say that it was five nuclear missiles took out the whole shipyards. Yeah. And then, and then I started reading this issue and it's like, Oh, the, the Pegasus itself took two. Yeah, that that makes that makes that number of five taking out a whole fleet seem a little low. And who knows what there could be different yields. Sure, sure. On these things, so some could be more powerful than others. But it's a nuclear device. I mean, wouldn't you think a nuclear device, especially an advanced nuclear device, you would think uh, one should do the job, right? Um, and, and it's they, not like they've got shields or something here. I mean, they don't have shields. They have hull plating, and it's not Star Trek. So. Right. Yeah, you, you think about that, like, you know, you think about how big the Galactica or the Enterprise or mm-hmm. Star Destroyer. Star Destroyer is obviously a lot bigger, but but still, it's it's we're talking, you know, not city-sized. It's not as big as New York or whatever. Um, and yeah, if you think about a nuclear bomb hitting a, a big city like that, how how much damage that would do? You mm-hmm. you think that if it hit the hull of one of those ships, how how much damage it would have done? Unless right. it has magical shields or whatever, like Star Wars and Star Trek, mm-hmm. yeah, that can somehow deflect that that damage. Right. Yeah. So we already have ways of destroying ourselves pretty good. Why do we need photon and quantum torpedo? <laughs> Well, you'd think they'd be even more powerful, wouldn't you? Especially uh, quantum torpedoes. Yeah. Right. Or whatever that uh, that new ship on Picard has that's even deadlier than anything else they've ever seen before. Oh, oh, so not the, the portal device. or whatever. Right. To what? So not the portal device, but Not the, the portal device, just whatever missiles they kept talking about. Like, yeah. Oh, they have those. And I saw a video that was uh, saying that was a, that was that was that kind of weapon was referenced before. Uh, oh, like in the, TNG or something. It was. Um, I think it was that the Dura sisters were using. In oh, was that it? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, and 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 Jordy says uh, something like they were banned for a reason or something like that. Yeah. It, Rips rips a hole through subspace or something like that. Oh right, yeah, okay. But she's got them, yeah. So okay, so but, those are the same uh, ones. Okay, I think so. So we're going to be, uh, of course, posting this way after Picard is over, probably this this last season. But sure. uh, we we just watched the third episode, 
and we saw the portal video game technology, uh, which finally at the end of this third episode, we're really understanding what we saw when that uh, when that uh, planet-based uh, Starfleet building was destroyed and then kind of like dumped from right. the air. It's like I wasn't one hundred percent sure what I was seeing there, but I thought that looks cool. But now we see the uh, the with three or four photon torpedoes, or maybe they're quantum torpedoes. I don't know. That they shot at the Shrek ends up being redirected to the uh, Titan A, right. and ends up. Well, even the Titan A was was redirected several times using that same tech. Just yeah, goes in, comes yeah, out yeah. somewhere else. Right. So yeah. So, so I that is really that doesn't have anything to do with this. <laughs> this <laughs> comic book. But I thought that's really cool. It's like okay, so now we're gonna finally see, even though it came from a video game. I mean, come on, they 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 had to have taken that from from. Well, the they even call game. it a portal. They even call it portal. Like, yeah. There you go. Um, we're gonna copy the game. At least make something else up. <laughs> call it something else. Right. But, I mean, that's a pretty cool weapon to have to fight against. I mean, that really, sure. yeah, that really notches up the difficulty in beating this boss. Again, to use gaming lingo. Sure. Yeah. So, I think it's going to be really interesting. Anyway, the idea of, uh, of, of hurling nuclear missiles at each other and having nothing to deflect it except for the metal on your own hull... Uh, yeah, that's a little bit grittier, right? Right. I think, and, and this is a, I think this is quite a quite gritty, quite dark book, as I said earlier. Yeah. So I don't know. In, in that flashback, that we, I mean, just to, to go back to the flashback, um, right? Which I now agree with you is a flashback. Uh, just drives home how cool those original Cylons looked. How cool and they that, looked. Yeah, they're yeah. so awesome. I thought they did a good, a good job. And and those are the same Cylons that we saw in uh, the Blood and Chrome movie, right? I th- it's been a while since I've seen that one. Yeah, it's been but a while since I've seen it too, but I do remember yeah. it was that version and not the 100% CG skeletal version. I, I think you're right. Yeah. So that was when uh, Adama was a, a, a young fighter. A young man, yeah. A young Viper fighter. And Caprica, do they look like this? Or did they ever get to that point? They, they never look... got to that point. No? Oh, okay. They were... Yeah, I like Caprica. I thought it was a good movie, a good good show. But, yeah, um... Never... Yeah, they never... I mean... Yeah, they, they didn't get to the point of looking like, like the Taz uh, Cylons. No. Mm. They were big... They were bigger robots. Gotcha. And then... No, yeah. Let's not talk about that show. That <laughs> yeah, they, they, ne- they never made any comic books of that one, which was kind of sad. Yeah, Galactica yeah. 1980 got a comic series. Why did? Uh, nah. Gal- why did? <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't that good. Nah, I've tried to rewatch 80, and I just an episode or two. I'm like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So. They had to do something with the original Galactica that would cost less. It'd be less costly. Right. So they set it on Earth. Yeah. Great. 
So we'll make it like chips, but uh, but they'll have flying motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kent McCord. I don't know who the blonde guy is. I forgot his name, but yeah. So um, it was oh. interesting seeing Morgan Freeman or his likeness in this. Uh, well, Morgan Freeman, Admiral Roner. Oh, yeah, I guess if you squint hard enough. Well, uh, that you, one. Yeah, okay, that one panel. Yeah, that weird. one panel. It's like you don't have to squint <laughs> at all. That's Morgan Freeman. Yeah. No, you're right. But but I I do agree with you that in the other panels he doesn't look that much like Morgan Freeman. But in that one panel, that, that narrow one, yeah. He, yeah, it's Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about the artwork, um, mm-hmm. let's jump over to the cover real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some questions about who that uh, guy was on the... Yeah, who's the guy? The primary you know? cover? No. He looks like Chakotay, but like a <laughs> drawn. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Only without the tattoo. He looks a little bit like Chakotay. Yeah. And and look at the cop. I mean, it almost looks like a, a TNG uniform. It does. Yeah. So their uniforms are blue, right? Right. Yeah, but this they're one very clearly red, blue. Just the way with so the, even black. like the red piping. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I have no idea what that is. So I'm assuming it's her XO that shoots himself in the head later. Or no, oh. that she shoots in the head. That's the way I took it. Oh, but the ex she did her uh, well they uh, well, in the episodes where they're finding out that she might not be as good a commander as uh Oh you're about the T V show. Yeah, in the T V show. Oh, okay. She talked they, they talk about how she killed her XO because he questioned her mm-hmm. her orders one time. Mm. So I just reading this, I was like, Oh, that must be him back ah. then, <laughs> before he got a hole in the head. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I'm going to just say it's a, it's a business decision that they thought that if you featured a woman in charge on the cover, uh, it might be less something you could relate to than if it was a young guy. Wow. Um, I hope that's not the case. Well, you explain it. No, I can't explain it, mate. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, because she's on the cover, but she's so tiny well, yeah, and way small. in the background. She's in the background. I mean, yeah. obviously, she she's the main character. I mean, there are other characters in this, of course, but yeah, she but... is obviously the main character. Yes. She should and be the front book is and about her. <laughs> and her ship. I mean, she she's a freaking admiral. Anyway. Yeah, I have no idea why he's, he's – and, and why he's drawn like that, too, like – like with his mouth open, <laughs> oh, we're in trouble now. <laughs> yeah, I believe he said "frack." That's what he said. Oh well. As far as that cover goes, I really like it, except uh-huh. for him. I mean, the ships look cool. The side yeah. looks cool. Just, just whatever reason, that open mouth guy, whoever he is, <laughs> just looks weird. A A Ron, that's his name. A A Ron, and he's in the middle, and he shouldn't be. But the overall, the art in the book I thought was really good. Yeah, it was uh, good. I liked it. I, I think did this... think the scene with the three Cylons was a little odd. I mean, it's kind of out of place because that's the only time they show up. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, they're trying to... Yeah. I mean, they're there, obviously, because that's part of the paranoia. So they're... They look just like humans now, and we have no clue. Right. And they can go anywhere they want to. And we have no clue. Yeah. And they're about to spring the trap. And we, well, we may have some clue, but still. 
Right. And I did like how kind of uh, the Admiral, I uh, forgot her name. What's her name? Kane? Kane. Yeah. How she's kind of like, something's about to happen. Something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, she she knows that it's something's coming to a head. Yeah. She just doesn't know what yet. Yep. Like she says at the end. And we obviously know she's right. I noticed that uh, one of the Viper fighters, Captain Robert Taylor, whose call sign is Stinger. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting, Robert Taylor, who, of course, is the actor who starred in The Birds and The Time Machine. Uh. So I don't know whether that was on purpose. Maybe somebody liked The Time Machine movie that was doing the artwork. I don't know. But uh, I thought that was odd, uh, seeing that name on that, on that Viper. What was uh, Charlton Heston's name in Planet of the Apes? Oh, Taylor. I yeah. forgot. I don't know what his first was name it, is. Was it Robert? I have no idea. Mm. That was what I thought of when I read it, but I didn't do any research to see if, uh, if it was. Yeah, I, don't re- yeah I, I didn't even think Planet of the Apes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, because that, that is the actor's name. But, yeah, maybe, maybe Charlton Heston, his character was Robert Taylor. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. Just So if she showed up, mm-hmm. all right, so just, just, I'm trying to figure out how this works. So at the beginning of the miniseries, the reboot, mm-hmm. there's like this Cold War going on. And they, there's no like real fighting in between the two people. Mm-hmm. And they go to that space station every year to sign this armatrist or whatever. Mm. And then one year... And the year, silos never show up. Yeah, yeah. And then one year they, they blow it up instead of... But if she comes back and says, you know, the, the Kronos is destroyed and we were attacked and we fought Cylons, wouldn't that get the... Would... would, would I mean, did, does she never make it home? Is this... While she's on her way home, is that when the main attack happens and she just never makes it there? Is is that how you read it, or did she um, make it there? Tell them what was going on, and then the big the big attack happens. I think she might have told the brass what was going on. I mean, she she had a chance to. Re- I think she had a chance to report, but right. It pro- I mean the actual attack probably happened pretty quickly after she returned. Right, I I would guess, and that's just a guess. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out the timing because I mean, mm-hmm. even if she was on comms and told them, "Hey, this just happened to the Kronos and us, and mm-hmm. we're limping back after taking two nuclear strikes," you know, be ready. Then maybe, maybe they wouldn't get quite destroyed as destroyed so, so easily. Yeah, caught on their their rear, rear heel. So I mean, they're showing they're showing you that at least she knows something's happening. Right. So she's able to react, and that's part of the reason she got away. Um, but obviously, I think uh, Morgan Freeman knows something's up. Because <laughs> um, they, they continue to try to uh, you know, send stealth ships in to try to find out anything about what they're up to. So they don't yeah. trust them. Uh, and it's a good thing they don't, because <laughs> in the end, um, yeah, they just totally wiped them out. Except for the 
I, I, I forgot what the opening, uh, the Lauren Green opening used to say. The ragtag fleet of humanity or whatever. Yeah, leads the ragtag fugitive fleet on a lonely quest for a shining planet known as Earth. As Earth. That's it. That's it. You got it. Anywho, I think this was really uh, gritty. I liked it. Yeah, that was good. And and polar opposite from Little Battlestar. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anyways, all right, anything else on this issue? Um, no. No, that's it. I, no, I thought this was a nice little uh, side trip into uh, Battlestar Galactica Land. BSG. Yep. And, and a trip I would definitely like to take again. Cool. Since we are, you know... We're, we're, we're caught up on, on our Star Trek, so we mm-hmm. kind of got to do other stuff. Right. So what are we so, doing next time? Uh, next time we'll actually uh, have a couple of Star Treks to do. Cool. And it will be Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Issue 3, and Star Trek Issue 5. Cool. And then after that we'll have, uh, I think Defiant will be starting up pretty soon, and that um, Resurgence will be finishing up. So... We've got good stuff coming. Good. I look forward to seeing how uh, Resurgence, resurgence uh, ends. So the last Resurgence uh, issue we did left the um, Resolute in a similar looking shape as I believe Titan, Titan A looked uh, mm. in Picard. So right. We'll see what happens. See what happens. Okay, All right. well, Great. thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.